Hey everyone, Justin here with Whitetail Theories Podcast on the mic. Again, we have Corey McConnell with AccuForage. Um, on this episode, this is going to kind of be a bonus episode for everyone. Um, Corey with AccuForge. AccuForge is actually our feature partner for May. So the last couple of weeks we've been doing all types of food plot basics um, and food plot podcast also we have a live webinar that's going to be on the 18th at 7 p.m uh, we'll definitely throw that registration in the show notes if you are interested but we wanted to jump on because we were getting a lot of questions um, and a lot of feedback on equipment and also people that are on a budget um, or don't have a lot of time on their hands with getting a food plot ready. So we decided we'd do this episode. Um, Corey was gracious enough to uh, jump on last minute. So we're going to record this for y'all. Um, and then if you do have any more questions that may be something we don't cover, just let us know um, and we'll definitely reach out to everyone. But Corey, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, Justin. You know, it's a great, great to be on again. And I really appreciate everything you guys do over at Serviceside and I always look forward to hopping on the mic with you guys. Awesome, man. Well, we're definitely glad to have you. And, um, you know, for those that don't know with ServiceSide, when we partner with someone, we partner with companies, um, I like to call it legit. Um, these are companies that have great values. These are companies that, you know, don't take shortcuts. They have great customer service. They're people that you can get on the phone. Um, you can ask questions and you can really get the most out of your hunting experience. And uh, for those that don't know, Corey is one of those guys. Um, he's kind of the face of AccuForge here. He's definitely the person that I deal with regularly, um, especially when it comes to ordering product or having any questions so this is going to be a great episode um, hopefully very informative uh, for for everyone that is looking for this type of information as far as the equipment you need for food plots um, but Corey I guess we'll jump right into it man uh, a question that I've been seeing a lot um, so I guess this is a great great place to start would be um, basics of equipment. You know, we talk to a lot of people and they're like, I don't have time, I don't have money, um, you know, or, or I work all the time and I'm trying to balance hunting with food plots or, or maintenance or upkeep or whatever have you. So um, I guess the first question that I have for you is, uh, what kind of basic equipment is needed for someone to kind of start a food plot or, or upkeep a food plot if they're short on time and money? Right. I mean, a lot of people think that you need to have a 60 horsepower tractor and, a, you know, a, a eight foot tiller and all that other stuff. And realistically, you don't. It's it. That's almost if you're planning over over five acres a day. Um, you know, I, I like to tell a lot of our customers, if there's a will, there's a way. Um, and, you know, even if you're getting into it and, and, and that's fine and, and all to to get into something new and just go in and try it. Um, when I started doing food plots back when I was a young and I, and I had a, I had a garden rake and I was out there just flipping dirt and throwing seed on the ground. No, it wasn't the, the most beautiful thing, but you know what? It attracted deer and it, that that's all that basically we're wanting to do um, is give the, give the resource some nutrition and, and also add some attractiveness to your area. So, and that this is something that this is a topic that a lot of you know you could look on ha habitat forums food plot forums videos and all that and there's there's honestly a million different ways to plan a food plot so i it's hard to say we can just start at the very very basic yeah that'd be um, great like i said i i used to run a garden rake you know, and that's not something that you're going to want to go and plant two acres with. But if you're determined enough to do it, you're going to do it. Um, but those are perfect for maybe your your one eighth acre or your quarter acre if you're you're feeling uh, feeling good about it. Um, there's always, you know, I know Justin. You told me the other day you use a hand tiller. I mean, I do. A garden yeah. hand tiller. That. Yeah, that's 300 bucks right there, and you can move. I'm sure you can move pretty dang quick with that thing. I can, yeah. So that's what I started doing just because, for one, um, I was kind of helping my, my father-in-law owns uh, a little bit of acreage, and he had some spots that were kind of like travel corridors, and it just, every time I looked at it, I was like, this would be a freaking amazing spot to put down a, a food plot, the, the, 
turkeys were always coming through it. Um, they would always feed right there. There's orange groves on one side. There's nice, thick, thick, thick stuff on the other side. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So what I did was instead of, you know, getting a big tiller for my garden to have at the house, I have a, it's like a weed eater. Um, I think it's Troy. I'm pretty sure is the brand. Uh, don't quote me on that. I got it at Lowe's. I'm pretty sure it's Troy, but um, I got that and I got the attachment. And like you said, I, I definitely want to say it was definitely less than 300 bucks, if not around 300 bucks for the whole set. Um, but I've had that now for Gosh, I'd say almost three years. Um, it's obviously mixed gas powered. Um, it's very light uh, in it. Really, I mean, I can I can move very well with it. it. I mean, it works just as good to me, in my opinion, as a tiller. Um, I haven't had it. I mean, we have sandy soil here, so you know, I'm not sure how it would be with with someone with rocks and things like that. But for the soil that I have, um, it does very very well, and I'm able to cover ground quickly. Um, takes a little bit of muscle, obviously, and and things like that. But um, it's definitely. I would say easier than using a rake. I know you said you started using a rake. So it's like that next level up from the rake and not yet up to a machine. Right. And, and that's something that I think the listeners need to realize is you got to find your balance. How much sweat equity are you allowed? To, are you willing to put in and how much monetary value are you willing to put into food plotting? So, you know, once you find that balance then you can start, you know, categorizing what type of equipment you really need to go, to make it plain and simple, all you really need to do is till dirt, you know, flip the dirt over to get to get those nutrients on top to where your to where your seed's gonna be. And then you're gonna need basically a a spreader or a broadcast seeder. I use the broadcast seeder bags. I think they're like we sell them here at the shop for like sixty bucks and those are high end bag seeders. Um so and I use that for seeding and spreading fertilizer and lime. So realistically, what are you looking at there? Like maybe 400 bucks. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's for the, for the spreader and for the, uh, mach, you know, machine to, you know, to turn yeah, the dirt over. Right. And it, and you know, if you're going to go get an attachment for your weed eater, that's $300 where you go and get an attachment for your four wheeler. That's a 48 inch disc. That's about 450 bucks. So realistically, you just bought your whole food plot equipment right then and there, and it's going to last you for years. I think I've gone through – I don't think I've had to replace my, my cedar bag since I've been using it, and that's probably been five, six years now. Oh, solid. And you, you use so, it pretty often too, so it's not just getting used you know, once and put in the garage. Right, exactly. As long as you take care of your equipment, it's going to last you probably a la lifetime. Um, so like I said, you know – one thing that I, you know, since I've upgraded from my rake, um, I got that attachment disc for the back of my four-wheeler. There's a bunch of different types of attachments. I just had the 48-inch disc. You can throw cinder blocks on top of that thing, and, man, does it, it rips really good. So there's, you really don't need tractors to plant food plots. Like I said, if you're – if you're wanting to plant five acres of food plots in one day and then go to the next day and plant five more, maybe start looking into a tractor or a lawnmower with something with higher horsepower that's going to till that dirt a lot quicker and a lot easier. But, you know, I, I would say 80% of these of the listeners and, and any hunter out there has access to a four-wheeler or a lawnmower to attach one of those disc attachments to. Even if you don't own it yourself, you know, rent it from a buddy, you know, even go to a lawn, a lawn store that, that is willing to rent that equipment and just rent it for a day and get your work done. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I, I like that you said, uh, you know, a little bit taking a step back. You had said if there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, I tell people, uh, you know, just exactly like you said, it's how much, you know, at the end of the day, we can all say we don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have this. We don't have that. But if you want to do it, 
there's always a way to do it. There's always a cheap way. I was talking to Grant not too long ago, um, and he was saying that he didn't want to put a lot of money into it because he's very when he makes a decision on something, he weighs the um, how much time is it, you know, his return on his investment type thing. Um, that's just how his mind works. So for him, he was like, um, you know, what he did was he he created or he kind of rigged up a. Uh, a pull behind, like you said, with the four wheeler, um, that was able to do where you had said put the center blocks on something similar to that, where he was able to rig it up to really uh, pull, pull flip over the dirt that he wanted to to flip there. Um, but he pretty much named like four or five things where he kind of took somewhat of a, a cheaper way to doing it, and he still got it done. And like you said, using a rake, me using a hand tiller, uh, the same thing I used to till the, the food plot is what I'm weed eating my, my little yard with. So, um, right. you know, you can you can find a way. And, and yeah, sometimes you're going to have to put a little bit more sweat, a little bit more time into it. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to take a cheaper route, uh, that's normally the balance that comes with it. I mean, you can go to another state and you can drive there or you can fly there. You're going to pay a little more flying. You're going to get there quicker. Um, it's going to be more efficient but if you drove there you know you'll spend a little less money but it's going to cost you more time so there's always a give and take with anything that you do right like i said find that happy medium between your sweat equity and and your monetary value and that's that's the category you're going to fall into um back to what you were talking about with what grant was doing i actually didn't know he was kind of rigging his own systems and stuff but man is there a lot of lot of videos out there that will show you how to do DIY type machinery for food plots. I know I've done this before where I find a wooden pallet. I take, you know, the, the staves off the pallet and I hammer, you know, a bunch of 16 penny, maybe bigger nails in it. Then I nail that board right back on the pallet and then I flip it where I want to, you know, flip the dirt and then drag it with my forward. Man, that works. That works just as good. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I never thought of that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, t- there's, so many different ways. And, and a lot of people are like, well, I need drags. I need a call to packer. You know, I don't I don't want to make all that, but I also don't want to spend all that. It, call to packer, you know, if you got your four-wheeler, run it over real quick. If you got, if you need a drag, go find a chain-link fence, fence that someone's throwing away. Spring Springtime is a great time to drive around your neighborhood and figure out what everyone's throwing away. Right. Because you're more than likely going to find something that you can utilize in your food plotting. No, that's legit. Uh, springtime and then also the way technology is. I mean, we have Facebook Marketplace. I see all the time someone's like, hey, come get this scrap wood or, hey, I've got chain link fencing rolled up. Come come take it. Um, right. You know, you can always go to a junkyard. You know, I used to work for a hauling company. You know, you could always go somewhere and get leftover parts that you can just absolutely destroy and it's not going to cost you anything but your time to get there exactly so. and, and you're more than likely going to find a replacement when you do break that yeah for sure so that that's that's great man um you know for for you listeners that are out there that have been asking you know how do you get into it or maybe you've just been a little intimidated by seeing big tractors and and all this stuff you know obviously yeah that makes it a little easier you know if you have the means and and the land and things like that but um you can always get it done different ways and i like that you had mentioned the youtube uh that's the great thing about youtube now is you can almost type in anything um and find out either either better way to do it a do-it-yourself way of doing it um or you know something that's a little more up your budget or or avenue right exactly and it's the world we live in is very technologically savvy and and there's just a million ways to figure out what you need to do for food plots and and there's really excuse me there's really no short answer of no i can't do it yeah for sure um so yeah that kind of goes over now let's let's kind of take that a step further let's say someone um does have the the money to put a little bit into it is there maybe like do you get bigger equipment for i guess the more land you have or um is there kind of like like progression steps. I know let, let's just, I guess the best thing would do uh, we could do is um, kind of tell us how you kind of evolved yourself personally with going from a rake to what you do now. Right. So um, let me have this card pass. Yeah, no problem. But uh, yeah, so basically I started out with a rake, like I said previously, and I was probably doing a 10th of an acre 
and I was in the middle of the woods and I was planting corn. Very first thing I've ever done. And it grew really well. And the work was a lot of sweat equity. It grew really well, but you know what? The deer and raccoons ate that corn so quickly that I didn't even get a hunt over it. Oh, wow. Because I, I was in the middle of the woods. I didn't have such a big enough plot that I had enough forage to last till hunting season. It was just gone. So as I kept going to private landowners and as I met buddies from college who had property, we, we, you know, as college kids, we, we try to save as much money as we could. So we would go to salvage yards, we'd go to, you know, yard sales and all that. And we've actually found a, uh, a tiller, uh, not a tiller, a, a disc and a harrow, harrow that we got for like 50 bucks. And that's what we did all of our food plots on. I think we, we would do maybe two to three acres a year on multiple properties. So, you know, we took the easy way out and we got lucky and we found that equipment. Um, all we had to do was take our four-wheeler four -wheeler and that, that harrow where we were going and we were, we were ripping around the woods. Um, and as, you know, I finally graduated college and all that, I got this job. So now I have access to the big equipment. Um, the only reason we have access to the big equipment is because of our farming operation. So that's literally the only reason we our our company owns larger equipment is because we farm large ag. Right. Um, without that large ag, we probably wouldn't need that big equipment because these food plots, you know, it, it doesn't really require all that much. So that's my progression. If, if I had, I don't know, give me a, give me a straightforward number on the budget. Well, let's see. We, we, we said we were at around 500 or less by doing it pretty much like by hand manually. So let's say we have, I don't know, let's say for example, let's say 1500 or anywhere between a thousand to $2,000. Okay. So definitely get that, uh, Definitely upgrade to a, a disc on the back of your four-wheeler. Um, sometimes they have plows too, but I know the horsepowers on four-wheelers aren't going to be able to plow up fields. So really stick to the disc because planting depth of food plots really even shouldn't be under an inch and a half. Um, so that disc will work perfectly fine. It might take a bunch of back and forth, back and forth, but it works just as good as anything else. Um I would get, so that's, that, let's say that's $500 right there. If you have access to a four-wheeler or a lawnmower. Okay. I would go and get a backpack sprayer. So you can either go get the ones that are electric motorized or gas motorized. Those are a couple hundred bucks. Say, let's just say two off the top of my head. Or you can get the manual ones for maybe 50 to 75 that hold a little bit less. So that that's going to be for you're spraying your your herbicide treatments um stuff like that and you can even use that to go and water your food plot say you're in the middle of the woods and you're going through a drought use that same sprayer to go and give your your food plot some type of water um what else what else honestly the drag or the call to pack your end i i would honestly stick with the chain link fence that's all you really need to do that light drag to get the seed covered that's really all you do um, obviously you go and have the, uh, the, the hand seeder bag. Like I said, that the high end is 50, $60. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, the rest of that money you can put towards quality seed and, and the fertilizer and the lime. Okay. So that's basically, you're basically within that, you know, maybe even under $1,500. Yeah, for sure. And I know that number is a little a little high and a lot of people don't want to put that type of money into it, if, especially if it's smaller. But just to kind of throw a, a oddball number out there to see so you can see almost less than fifteen hundred dollars. You can get some pretty, pretty much everything you need to, if you wanted right. to take it to another level. Yeah. And if you want to and it's a weird thing, if if you're between the fifteen hundred and let's say five thousand dollar mark, you know, a 60 power horse. 60 horsepower tractor you're just going to cost you 15 to 20 grand so we'll stick between the 15 to 5 range 
there's this thing out there and there's a couple of knockoffs as well but i've seen it in use a couple of times it's the food plot master i believe they're out of like alabama somewhere down south georgia maybe their system is almost to a t it's an all-in-one system they got to till the the drag and then i think they have a plow depth too and then they also seed as you go now the only complaint i have about that system is when you're doing blends of seed it's not able to spread the seed consistently if that makes sense so like the different side like you you'll set your gauge to release a certain seed size so if you have anything bigger it's not going to go out or if it's smaller it's going to let all the smaller stuff out first before the bigger or the the right size so that's my only complaint and when you use a hand seeder you can control all of that you know there's nothing that's gonna gonna you know regulate what size seeds going out okay all right yeah no that's that's great stuff man i'm, I'm actually writing this down i want to make sure i have this stuff in the show notes this is good um so we've kind of touched on on the basics of equipment i'll kind of i'll move on a little bit and you and you know feel free to always jump back if you want to um we just had a, a few questions here i wanted to definitely make sure i covered but um i guess that kind of brings us to um I tell you what, we can talk about, let's talk about seeding. Um, as far as early and late seeding, someone had asked, you know, what are the pros and cons of early and late seeding? I mean, I guess that would be a good time to kind of transition into that. Right. So really with that, it depends on what you're planting. Let's stick with the basic clover and your brassicas. A lot of people are going to be planting clovers in the spring and brassicas in the fall. So the, the pros of early seeding clover is you can only you can start from when february through march depending on where you're at you can start with frost seeding it um a lot of people with frost seeding say oh you double you double your your seeding rate that's not true not with clover anyway you keep that seeding rate exactly the same and as long as there's no snow on top of the ground and you get seed to soil contact the the freeze and thaw overnight will actually work that that seed down um and that's really good because you are you're going to have a a seed in the ground already that's ready to germinate as soon as the soil attempts reach the requirement um and then it's going to pop up quicker than anything else even including weeds so let's say you didn't get to frost seeding or you know you just didn't have time and then you want to go and till up say the the last week of april and and you want to plant that's fine dandy the only con of that is you're just promoting more weed growth not Uh. to say not to say that it's a bad thing because weeds actually are organic matter which you can put back in the soil but you got to watch that those weeds won't overtake your clover Okay. Now, um, this is just asking from someone, you know, for you guys that don't know, for the listeners that don't know, um, I just literally just got into doing food plots and they're so small. So my knowledge is literally probably as low as it can go. So this is going to be a newbie question here. When you're planting clover, uh, is it the type of, uh, I guess that seed that can easily be overtaken by weed and it has to get to a certain growth before it's not, or is it something that you'll continuously battle with? So I think it, it depends on like everything with food plotting is situational. Now I've planted clover in the middle of the woods and, and I just let it go because I was three hours away from it and the ferns actually took it over. Okay. That makes they, sense. They, they grow taller in their shade. They, they produce a lot of shade. So it killed everything out. So basically, and this was this is with every food plot I do. I spray glyphosate down two weeks before I plan on planting. Glyphosate is a post-emergent um, herbicide. You know that's that's your typical Roundup type stuff. Spray that down, and then wait two weeks before you do it because then that's going to kill. Well, really, you could you could till and then spray. Because when you till, you're going to activate all those dormant seeds from the weeds in that soil. Um, so maybe even till before and then spray, and then make sure you before you before you seed again that all those there's nothing growing there, 
you know, you're, you're safe to plant it. And then that's going to help your clover kickstart. And then it's going to get to that, that stage where there's only a little bit of weeds that can come up because it's just, it grows so thick and heavy. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome, man. That, no, that, that, that definitely makes sense. That's what I thought, you know, as far as situation, cause like down here we have, you know, we'd have, um, I'm not sure what they call, but they're like little thistle, little thistle things. And they have, we have yep. St. Augustine and things like that. So like, you know, a lot of your, your weeds and then also grasses, they, you can usually keep them at bay here because of the sandy soil. I, it almost seems like they grow very slow. So, you know, I'll check my garden, for example, every two weeks to weed it. And I'm able to, you know, within 20 minutes, clean everything up. But I know up there, you know, we don't have ferns, at least, you know, where I'm at. They, there's some in the right. swamps, but, um, you know, I won't have any any plots that way. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, I mean, that's basically the pros and cons is you can get the kickstart. You can add to the soil um, in the spring. That's that's normally what we do. We'll throw down our spring king where we plan on throwing down our fall frenzy in the fall. That's just going to build the soil because we're going to till all that stuff that grew from the spring king back into the soil and just add nutrients. And that's how we are able to plant fall frenzy brassicas in the same spot for three years. So that that's a pro of, of spring as well. And like I said, the, weed, the weeds are kind of the, the the con but if you do it right it's really not that not that bad at all well yeah it's not um, a bad con at all and another con of, of spring is you got to have the right the right blend so you want to have something that isn't like brassicas where if it's eaten it's gone um so like clover and, and all that stuff in our lucky leaf is a perennial so once it's not off or it's mowed or whatever you do it's just going to keep bouncing back every year um and then clover is really cool because once it gets seed tops, you can go over and mow it right, just right at the seed tops. And then you're just adding more seed to your plot. So that's why a lot of people are planting clover in the spring because you can get those two to three cuts a year in your plot and just keep adding free seed down. Okay, yeah, that that definitely answers that question very well. Um, and if if we need to touch on any more, I'll definitely have uh, that member reach out to me too. But I, I definitely get that. Now, let let me ask you. I feel like there's a good transition to this as far as upkeep. Um, somebody had asked, you know, can you can you kind of touch on like preparation of plots before planning and upkeep, and, and they had worded this too in a in an equipment type manner. Um, you know, kind of, kind of go over that with us. Cause I know you had, you're mentioning, you know, mowing, uh, mowing some of your clover, it spread seeds. Um, as far as your, your preparation for the plot, uh, before planting, um, what kind of steps do you take there with your equipment? I know, I know you did touch on it a little bit with turning up the soil, but let's just do a quick little, uh, you know, summary on that. Right. So I'll just, I'll exactly tell everyone what we do so basically we go to the area we evaluate the, the current situation of it if you know the weeds or random grasses are super high we'll go and mow it um, that's just going to instantly kill all the top layer of vegetation and then again you're adding you down the road add more organic matter to the soil um, so once you mow it we either spray it then till it or we till it and then spray it either or doesn't really matter depends on how much vegetation is really there but again like i said when you till it you're activating all those dormant seeds again because you're bringing them up and getting them sunlight um so that's pretty much a personal preference we go back and forth it's just it's just really what equipment's where is the if we're spraying or if we're tilling first um and then after that we will take our our uh oh what's it called our, our drag, which is the, the chain link fence or whatever you determine to use. And then we'll go back and forth and just drag it out. Drag it out, make it a nice seed bed, almost perfectly level. You don't want big clumps because when there's big clumps, your seed's going to fall down through those cracks and get buried too deep. So get a nice soft, soft slash firm seed bed where you can still poke your finger through it but you're also not poking your finger eight inches down into the soil um and then like once you got it 
nice and semi-compact and firm, then you'll go and seed it. Well, actually, let's take a step back. I forgot something. Um, I will actually, depends on what fertilizer we use, we will actually till in the fertilizer. We'll spread the fertilizer and then till it in. So all that fertilizer is down where the roots will be after the, the plants start to establish. Um, a lot of, you can even do fertilizer on top, but you got to be cautious of that. You know, you don't want to be spreading fertilizer when it's 90 degree days, scorching hot. There's no rain in the forecast. Realistically, you want to have, you want to be spreading lime and fertilizer when it's an overcast day. And this is when you have vegetation growing. Your food plots are already growing. If you're throwing fertilizer down, you want it to be cloudy, maybe a little bit of rain in the forecast. Because, you know, like the haze on the asphalt roadways when it's super hot. Right. That's exactly what you're going to get if you throw that fertilizer down on a 90-degree day. You're just going to burn all that vegetation, and then you're going to have more than likely nothing left. You just did all that work for nothing. So that's why we usually shallow till our our fertilizer in or disc it in, you know, get it to that three-inch depth, and you'll be gold. So then back to we'll go through and drag it, make it a nice firm seed bed, and then we'll go to seed. Um, you know, it depends what you're doing on your seeding rates. Um, our lucky leaf clover is five pound, or 20 pounds an acre. Our fall frenzy is... Uh, six pounds an acre and then spring king that's 10,000 square feet per five so you're looking at 27 pounds an acre um, and then grand slam that will be 20 pounds an acre and then out of sight is 24 pounds an acre so it, it just obviously just follow whatever recommendation you're going to get um and, and you'll be good. And then after you seed, we might do a light drag. But if you have rain in the forecast, which ideally you want to get get the seed in be, like right before it rains, because that that rain's going to activate instant germination, and it's the process is just going to start quicker and easier. So if it's going to rain, we're not going to drag it again. We're just going to let that seed sit on there because the rain will actually kind of push that seed down to its right depth. Um, unless it's a torrential downpour, which again, watch the weather. If it's, if you got a red radar, do not be planting food plots right before, um, cause all your seeds just going to wash away. Um, and then if no rains in the forecast, we'll do a light drag over and just make sure the seed has consistent seed to soil contact. And then basically you got your food plot planted. Um, you know, the upkeep. And this is something, the upkeep is, it's almost personal preference because a lot of people, I think, strive to have the very perfect food plot, which if you have the time and money and the energy to do it, that's great. But you're going to be there every single day checking on it. And realistically, that's not good. Mostly if that's going to be your honey hole spot. Um, So don't be worried if, if you kind of let your food plots do their own thing, you know, maybe check on it once a week, maybe every other week. Um, and if there's weeds in it, okay, but not a huge deal. Um, not everything has to be picture perfect, but obviously you want to find that happy medium where there's some weeds, but your clover's better or, or your food plots better than the weeds or, and, but you also want to make sure that the weeds are not overtaking your food plot. Okay, now I had a question about upkeep. So um, obviously, I'm going to be learning very soon once my uh, once my grand slam gets up here. But um, as far as like bugs and mold and things, is that usually a problem with food food plot type uh, you know plants or planting, or is that something that you don't really have to worry too much about? I I mean honestly, we don't worry a whole lot about it. There's obviously, just like anyone's garden, there's there's certain weeds or certain grubs and insects that might attack it. But usually we don't see a whole lot of that on our food plots. And and really, the 
I don't know. We just don't see that a whole lot, to be honest. Right, right. And, and that's why I wanted to ask because I know just, and this is just obviously my human garden, but um, like my squash, my squash will always have a hard time with mold. I, I always have right. to check it for mold, but my Brussels sprouts, my beans, my lettuce, my cabbage, none of that ever has a problem with mold, but literally not even six inches away, I'll have my zucchini and squash and they yeah. always, they always seem to want to get mold and it, it doesn't even, it's not even been raining a lot, so. Oh, yeah, that's weird. And I mean, if you have an insect problem, you know, get the insecticide that is supposedly going to kill that insect. You know, if you can get a sample of those insects that you think are doing it, Take it to your county conservation district. Every, at least in PA, every county has a conservation district that is well versed in that type of stuff. And if not, they can send it to an expert that should know, um, and then they'll point point you in the right direction of insecticides if if you're really that worried about it. Okay, and I'm sure that's probably more of a southern thing. Uh, like I said, we'll we'll be. Uh, coming back to circling back to this once my plot's already up and it might not even be an issue it could just be that certain certain type of uh plant that's more susceptible but i definitely wanted to ask for those that that do have bug issues because i mean we have a different it's like a i call it the flavor of the month because every month we have the love bugs are here now uh they'll be here for about a month uh before that we had the very they're really pretty black uh caterpillars or i'm sorry grasshoppers but they're really big they have like a yellow and red coloring to them. Um, then before that, we had the, uh, um, I can't remember what they're called. They're like ground moths. Um, so it's like every month we have a different type of bug that like wants to just pop up for 30 days and disappear. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant battle. And that's why I say, you know, more than likely it's not going to kill your plot. Okay, cool. Well, I tell you what, so that kind of talked on uh, a prep and upkeep here. Um, so let's talk about a little bit of placement. Um, we had a, a guy ask us, he said, you know, you're putting up your food plot or you're starting your food plot. Is there like a certain strategy behind like an entrance and an exit for your plot? So are we talking entrance and exit for humans or wildlife? Uh, I'm going to say, uh, let's, let's touch on both just so I don't, um, you know, botch the question. It seemed like to me he had he had asked it in a, in a reference of his equipment. Um, so I would imagine uh, more so people. Um, but if you're able to, we'll we'll at least touch on both of them so we can give him the answer to both. Yeah. Again, this is another thing that it's very situational. Everyone's land is going to look different. Everyone's food plot's going to look different. Um, for equipment wise, wherever wherever is the safest and easiest way to access your food plots because realistically more than likely you're not going to be running that tractor during hunting season you're not going to spook a whole lot and you're only going to probably have it in there maybe once or twice that year um so realistically from a person who's used a lot of equipment just do it the safest easiest way and i think you'll be good you're not going to spook a whole lot of stuff um and and that's pretty simple as that i mean I know my buddy, he's talking about adding a, we're trying to get a, a secluded food plot back in his woods and, and we got to have to add a, uh, a culvert pipe with some gravel over his creek because it's just not safe to take the tractor over those banks. So, you know, you do what you got to do to get, to get the work done. Right. And I, and like you said, I'm sure almost everything when it comes to this is situational because I mean, you know, we have an expression in Florida, it it rains on one side of the river and not the other. So, um, you know, obviously those two, those two places are going to be doing something completely different, um, since one get rain and the other one doesn't. But, um, I, I think that'll hopefully answer his question pretty well there. I think he probably just meant like, um, is there a strategy behind it? Um, I guess, you know, just, from what I'm seeing, maybe too, I guess maybe it's like setting up over it. Maybe he's talking about hunting it. Um, yeah, things yeah, we like can that. touch on that a couple. We can touch on that a little bit. Um, so let's start with like hunting access and exit. The biggest thing is that your deer isn't going to see you and your deer isn't going to smell you. So obviously just, just basic hunting, guys. If your wind direction is blowing into that plot from the direction you're going, you better not be going in there because if you have the 
the perfect setup, deer might be in there all day. So, and that's why, that's another reason why we've innovated out of sight because that at least takes out one factor between sight and smell. So if you can screen yourself from sight and you're going in at the right direction, the only thing you have to worry about is making sure the wind's going the right direction for you to enter and that you're not making a whole lot of noise that's going to make deer pinpoint your location. Okay. No, that, that, that definitely makes sense there. Um, so let's see here. Um, this was kind of something it, it, I, I don't get it. And I, I think that's why I'm, uh, uh, kind of curious about it, but I, I'm so, I'm sure you saw it on the Facebook post. Someone had said, why, why do people remove oak trees from plots? Um, I would assume just from being someone that don't know a lot that, uh, it's because, you know, trees suck up so much nutrients and things like that. But they told me I didn't have to ask it, but I was just curious, is that like a thing in, in food plots where people, uh, remove oak trees or. So I, from, I saw the same comment and I'm wondering if he meant removing oak trees to install a food plot. That, that was my take of it. And what you can, what I'm about to say is about probably going to say or at least answer both of those scenarios. So say you are going out and planting a food plot um, and all you have is oak trees, you know, more than likely you're going to cut some oak trees. Now, if I, if it was me, I would, and we're going to touch on this on the webinar, I would have that hidden food plot in the middle of the woods, have a couple of those oak trees in the middle or right on the edge of our food plots, because then that just adds more edge that adds more cover and then it adds more food. Now, why they take it out, other than they need the space, is beyond me. If they're out there and they have those single oak trees in, in the field or in their food plot and they just go in and cut it, that's beyond me. I don't know why they would do that, and I surely wouldn't. Right, because, I mean, that would just be an extra source of, of food, right? right? Right, and it's a variety. It's not It's not the greens. It's, it's a hard-massed acorn that... You know, a deer love variety, and that's that's a big topic I'm going to hit on on the webinar. Is I like to call it smorgasbord effect. Um, get as much different variety in one area as possible, and it, it's going to it definitely increases your chances. I mean, that definitely makes sense from from any perspective. With a lot of things you do, is uh, um, you know the I know I know people have said before like less is more, but when it comes to you know wildlife and things like that, I feel like it's more is better for sure. Oh right, and and you know the way I look at deer hunting and deer management is each deer has their own personality. That one buck might like evergreen bedding in the summer, but likes warm season grasses in the winter. You know, they have specific needs that they want at certain times of the year. So if you can get that whole variety and cover that whole spectrum in one central location, more than likely you're going to have a lot of immigration and emigration around your food plots. You know what it could be too, just thinking more on it and is maybe too, like we had talked about like that picture perfect food plot or like people oh. have expectations for themselves, you know, or what they think it should be. Maybe too, it's just that they just don't want, you know, half a dozen oak trees. But I like what you said, because how do you know that five, six year old mature buck that literally is only coming out at nighttime, maybe not even mating anymore. How do you know that, you know, he's just not waiting on a good old acorn to drop? Um, right. on top of eating some food plots right exactly and that's the the whole variety more variety the better and in my experience it it's created a lot of success for us at active forage no i like that man that definitely makes sense so uh granted asked um i guess he had just bought some out of sight and he was saying how thin can he plan it he said he's looking he's ideally he's got about a 36 inch wide gap and he wants to know if that's good enough for the out of sight well grant uh that is exactly the reason why we we another reason why we innovated that 36 inches is right on the mark it's enough to cover your entrance and exit they're not going to see through that 36 inch barrier but it's also not big enough that they're going to bed in it so if you're using it strictly for screening purposes to to hide your movements or to 
uh, funnel deer through certain areas, 36 inches is perfect, man. The deer aren't going to bed into it. And if you're walking near a screening plot that that is thick enough to hold deer and you're walking right next to it, that just makes no sense to me. No, that's but you're just gonna you're, you're gonna bump all those deer out of their bedding. So I'm just looking back over here. So that was the questions that the guys had. Um, we're touching on probably it looks like we're on about 45 minutes now. So you know we we talked about basic equipment. You know from going from a handheld rake or a handheld type of machine to you know using you know twenty to fifty thousand dollar tractors. Um, you know, we've, we've talked on, uh, a little bit about early seeding, the pros and cons of early and late seeding, uh, doing some jokes there with oak trees. Um, we have, uh, you know, entrance and exits and, and obviously safety seems big on that and preference, uh, wind and how you're going to hunt it. Um, it definitely seems like we covered a good bit here on equipment. Was there anything else you kind of want to specifically touch on with that? Yeah, I think let's, let's go back to the picture perfect thing. Okay. Uh, that that's a big bug for me from the industry um basically i i think and maybe you can elaborate on this justin from my viewpoint i think a lot of people are hesitant to go out and do this type of habitat work and management strategies is because they're afraid that if they're not going to do if they're not going to produce a picture perfect food plot that's not going to work and, and honestly that's not the case any type of forage you can add to your property is going to outweigh the the cons you're going to have way more pros than the cons yeah no for sure and you know what that's something that's always been a a bug to me also um you know we both you know at the end of the day this is white tail theories podcast we we talk about any and everything controversial and not uh whether we agree with something or we don't that's that's the whole purpose of discussions and and living in the great country we live in is we can all have our own opinions and we can utilize facts in different ways and there's always a different perspective or a um you know nothing is set in stone and and one thing that that always has irked me and bugged me um even though i haven't been in the hunting industry that long um i have been in hunting since i was a child and um i tell you what i just this this stigma or maybe stigma is not the word but this like expectation of like things have to be like this and things have to be like that I do think it deters a lot of people um you know when I when I talked to a lot of people when I had put on Instagram that little um that little poll to kind of see what was keeping people from doing it I really thought that money was going to be the big thing I, I thought right. just the way logistics is now I mean at the end of the day I, you know, I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough that I was always really good with finances. So when I was in the military, and I've done stocks and things like that. So you know, I I, I have started from the bottom, and obviously I, I'm financially stable enough now that I don't pinch pennies as much when it comes to that stuff. I like to use what works. I like to use reviews and things like that. But for those people that that do have it, you know, they're really tight. Uh, the pocketbook or the wallet's really tight. You know. I was really surprised that that wasn't the response. The the response seemed to be equipment that we both had saw. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, like I told you, I'm like, I'm using a, I don't even think it was $300, man. I think I spent like 200 bucks or less on that, on that weed eater and that attachment. So I'm sitting here like, you know, to me, in my opinion, that's something you can put on a credit card real quick, have it paid off in a couple small payments, like 25, 50 bucks. Um, and be done with it. But, um, you know, the equipment hit me and I was just curious. I was like, why? You know, I don't understand how that is. And I, I really, I honestly, I want to throw the blame on, you know, that, that picture perfect perception of someone sees someone in a tractor with 50 acres of luscious green, uh, of plot, you know, whatever, whatever they have planted. And I just feel like, you know, people need to know, like you said, you know, you went back in the woods um, and was putting it out there and yeah, it got overrun by ferns, but if you were three hours away and you were able to maintain it, it probably would have been amazing. So, um, you know, don't, you know, just for the listeners, don't ever do anything or try to be like anyone else. Like obviously, um, you know, get an expert's opinion, network around. That's a great thing I love about service side is we don't, we don't say you have to use this to be successful. You have to do this, you know, things work in different ways for different people in different areas and, and, and the amount you're going to put in it or not. And 
You know, you want to do what works best for you. Um, you know, I know when Grant had said that he didn't have the money to put into that equipment and he kind of rigged something up, there's always a way to do things. You had mentioned spring cleaning. I never even thought about that, just riding around some subdivisions and picking up stuff people are cleaning out from the garage and things. I worked for a hauling company and you wouldn't believe all the, the spreader that I have uh, and the mower that I have actually got from people that were doing cleanups. Um, so yeah. you never know. And then you got Facebook Marketplace where, you you know, at the point where technology is now, you can make a Facebook post and say, hey, title money. I got about 30 bucks. Can ever anyone help me with this? Or does anyone have a spreader or whatever? Um, you know, it, it's just a matter of you got to get up. You got to do it. But. I know I'm kind of getting long-winded on that, but it just—it's a—it's one of those things that irks me so bad because I'm like, just because it's on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube doesn't mean that just means that person has the marketing dollars to keep it in your face at all times. That doesn't mean it's a, uh, you know, what you need to be doing or what's best for you. Right, exactly, and that's it. It, it kills me because I mean, the social media and everything. Everyone's killing big bucks over certain food plot blends and. And honestly, that's that's the easy way around it. But you got to look at is it quality seed? Is it really you got to look at the background on who's on who's harvesting these deer? You know, are they doing it every year or is that just random? And either way, you can't pin it on a seed blend. Uh, <laughs> Did it take them 10 years to get that, <laughs> that type right. of buck? And that's, and that's the thing, you know, planting a food plot. I'm not saying that every food plot blend out there is good because I know ours is the best, but getting any type of forage on your property is obviously going to increase your chances. So don't be, de- don't be deterred from, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Just shot 160 is going to shoot 160 inch buck over his certain food plot. I got to go buy that same exact food plot. It's, it's just, it's crazy how that stuff works because in reality, that's not how it should work. No, no, not at all. And, and I've, I've had this conversation with you many a times and I, I don't sugarcoat anything as everyone knows. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I like to word of mouth is big with me. It really is. Um, but also I like to do my own research. So I take a little of both. Um, I do my own research. I like to network. I like to get other people's opinions. I like to check. I'm not going to say someone's going to kill. My buddy has plots in Virginia, kills nice deer. But he was killing nice deer before he even had plots on his on his acreage. He just has a, a, a honey hole spot. It just he has great genes. He has great food sources. He's he's managed it well. You know he's in his 60s, so he's managed it well for a very long time. He's a, he's a nice old head, and um, you know he knows his stuff. But if I just met him and and said, oh man, he's using this food plot. Well, he just recently started doing that type of stuff. <laughs> so. Right. That's right. not his, that's not, can't be attributed to his success. And that's what he told me. He just told me, kind of educated me like how you did, where it's like, hey, if you want the best for your game animals, and if you want to try to reach the best potential that it has in its gene pool, then, you know, this is the way to do it. Right. Yep. And it's, it, it is what it is, but I'm, the biggest thing that you, that you listeners need to take from this portion of the podcast is don't be deterred from what you're seeing other people do just get out and do it even if you're planning one 36 inch by i don't know 16 foot strip of food plot the deer might go through it real quick but i'll tell you what deer are going to come to it eventually and if you do it right they're going to come to it while you're sitting in a stand for sure and you know i've, I've mentioned this on other podcasts with you before but you know uh, you know, I'll vouch for AccuForge because that's what I use, but I, I always will support a smaller company, um, especially when I know the guy that's mixing my blends um, and put in packaging it and sending it my way. But my point with this is not only do you buy product and, you know, you I think you had sent a little bit of material too, some reading material and, and things like that. And I also get an email, but, you know, I'm able to call you or email you or message you on Facebook um, and you're able to help me get the most of my product. You're just not like, here, here's here's my 
Uh, I think I would I just buy some Grand Slam and it, and it came out with shipping and everything. It was like 60 bucks or so of my discount. Um, and, you you know, you wasn't like, here, here you go. Like, enjoy, have fun. You know, I had reading material that was sent with me. Um, you know, I'm able to contact you if I'm if something's not going right or I'm doing something wrong and we can kind of troubleshoot it or see if that's the best thing for me um, and where I'm at. So I really enjoy that you know, buying products from AccuForage, you kind of get a biologist that has years of experience with doing this. Um, and you're not the salesman or the marketing guy. You're more than that. You also mix the blends and things like that. So, you know, that sits good with me because the guy that's touching my seed is telling me how to put the seed in the ground. So, right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, maybe we could do a little bit of background on me. What I do here, you know, I do, like Justin said, the product, packaging the blending the mixing all that type of stuff and the marketing you know our marketing is terrible right now but you know it's just what we're given and we're gonna we're gonna go through it and get it done but my whole thing of my my biggest and most dependable thing that i give to accuforage is the product development and the guarantee that it's gonna assist in growing bigger deer because that's, that's what I have my education in, wildlife management from Penn State. So, you know, I've taken my education, my in-the-field experience, and I put it into products. Now, these products were, a lot of these products were here before I got here, but you best believe that I double-checked all their work. And I tell you what, man, every single product we put on our shelves is spot on for what we advertise it as. Yeah, for sure, man. You know, you had me sold when I bought the, um, you know, I had bought the... Uh uh tom bomb just to try it out and my flocks were like coming to it like six times a day my freaking camera was going off so much i thought i had a trespasser because we don't have deer um on this side of the interstate they built a big fence there's no deer at this this little radius area where i'm at it's all it's all turkeys coyotes panthers and bobcats and uh and uh, I tell you what, man, when I know when it's not deer, I'm like, why is this camera going off so stinking much? And they were just eating up that Tom bomb. And I'm like, wow. Um, and it went really well with what I already had down. So, um, you know, I was immediately sold off of that and was able to kind of evolve and get plots up um, and such. But, um, you know, I like that. I like you know, kind of what AccuForge stands for with that and that you're not just working for a company that you don't believe in. Um, you know, you've scientifically, not just out of your opinion of it, you've scientifically went and checked what's going on to see if it's if it's uh, legit. Right, and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we're trying to grow this company based off of the deer because maybe that's the easier route. But realistically our, our long-term goal is to get grand slam and, and tom bomb out there to manage turkeys the turkey populations and there's a movement down south right now and sooner or later it's going to come up north but i tell you what man we've been using those type of products for years and it's like managing deer and growing deer but we turned it into doing the same thing for wild turkey and all of those turkey products have been tested on every single subspecies of wild turkey in North America. Yeah, and I know we've kind of jumped down that rabbit hole with turkey. I always seem to do that. But like you said, I'm down south. Like we don't – don't get me wrong. We do a little bit of deer managing. But the turkey is is really what we're managing, at least from the, the circle and clicks that I deal with, um, even on public land. That's a – really big thing down here i don't know if it's because we have a subspecies that isn't found anywhere else in the world um or if that's the case or what but um i know when i go up north uh like to ohio for example i go to tucker with him you know whitetail food plot is 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 king um but he's getting into you know now he's getting to the point where he's like hey my deer population's solid I've pretty much got it where I want it, and I feel great about it. Um, you know, I got some satellite bucks that come in. I've got some, you know, stable bucks that live here full time. Um, but he's getting his turkey. You know, he's, he he told me he's like, I got two turkeys on my property. He's like, I like to get those numbers up. Um, I'm like, right. yeah, man, you you should. So I've I've recommended some stuff to him. But he has the land and the means and stuff. You know, he, I think he has like four or five separate plots, um, just like Andy Gannis has. Um, right. 
you know, and I actually wanted to jump back on this real quick. We're, we're touching on it almost an hour, but this was something I, I wanted to bring up. So I went to Georgia um, with Andy, and I know he uses your products. Um, and this was just, this is kind of going back on that picture perfect thing. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. I'll be honest with everyone. I'm an honest person. The It even got me, um, you know, I never believe or, or do the social media thing as far as, you know, how it affects my life. But I did have in the back of my head the, well, it, it's a little easier, you know, hunting with a food plot than it is on public land. And, and I tell you what, I, when I met Andy this past year, um, it completely changed my whole mindset on what I thought. I was like, actually, it's more work when you have a food plot um, <laughs> because of the sweat equity. And it's not just you walk out and the deer walk in front of you and say, hey, shoot me. You have to right. still pattern them. You have to know what they want. Uh, are the acorns dropping? You know, he had sawtooth acorns um, in one spot and not the other. Are they over there during early bow season? Um, just because you have a plot full of clover don't mean that's where they're at. Um, so I learned so much by, we pretty much took a whole day and explored his property and he kind of showed us the setup because they also manage, uh, birds. Um, don't quote me on this. I think it's grouse. I know it's not pheasant. I think it's grouse. Um, but they manage birds too and they have bird dogs. So they have the property set up for white tailed turkey and birds. Um, and I tell you what, man, or I'm sorry, Upland. But when I saw that, it just opened my whole world to, to that aspect and I'm like wow I can't believe I thought it was easy because I mean at the end of the day man that's the way it's portrayed it's portrayed on someone walking outside they go into yep. their you know ten thousand dollar blind or their ten thousand dollar hunting setup they are over top of this beautiful luscious green as far as the eye can see to the horizon food plot um and then they got 160 plus inch deer walking out regularly and um you know it's just the way that social media and videos and stuff are for all you know it took them a week before that deer came out to that section of food plot you know exactly and it's and i had a great great thing i want to say and i can't remember it right now but perfect example of what we're talking about Andy, like you said does management and, and you think they come out you know as soon as you sit down but even with how much land that andy has and, and all the stuff he does it's not a guarantee every time he goes out and it's not even a guarantee probably 50 percent it's still true hunting and and that's the thing back to the public versus the land management that that right there is two completely different types of whitetail hunting and you know if you can come well versed in both of those you're gonna be you're gonna do very well because if you can bring the scouting and the deer knowledge from public land hunting into land management and and deer management that's gonna be perfect because and i've done this in my previous years where i think oh this this is going to be a an okay spot for a food plot i'm going to see deer no matter what they're always here anyway I put in that food plot and it was terrible because I didn't set it up right. And that's, that's a whole thing that we're going to touch in on the, on the webinar next week. And it's definitely something that you don't want to miss. For sure. And for, for the listeners, we have a webinar. Um, I mentioned this at the beginning. I'll put it in the show notes on um, the registration. It is free to attend. This is a free webinar. You're getting, Honestly, if we were to take your education, you're getting tens of thousands of dollars worth of information on this that you can apply. Um, and, and this is how Grant had worded it, it's going to save you a ton of money because it's going to show you what not to do. Or it's going to show you <laughs> the things that we've all messed up or struggled with, like you said. Um, how much time and effort and money you put it into that spot and you and if you would have did something different in the beginning it, it, it would have been worth it so we're gonna have that webinar it's gonna be live it's gonna be at 7 p.m um it's gonna be next wednesday so the 18th we'll have that registration link come on check it out um 
Um, we're going to, you know, obviously have a Q&A at the end, um, but we're going to have a good 45 minutes or so or up to an hour of straight, you know, you have a great PowerPoint put together um, for food plot basics and getting started. So um, for you that are interested in that hands-on type learning, um, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to get on. And we always keep it at around an hour. It might go over a little bit, um, but you don't have to worry about sitting there for no two, three hours or nothing like that. We all have families and things too we have to get to so we, we definitely understand that you know you can't pull aside hours and hours to um, to do much with education in the evening especially during a weekday but we're trying to trying to do what we can to to give everyone the information they need um, as far as that goes but uh, Corey that's everything I had as far as that goes I know we'll touch on some more stuff um, at the webinar but did you did you have anything else or, or maybe a hot take you'd like to uh, to close us up with yeah, I guess my hot take is don't be deterred from what you see on social media or, or on the blogs. Just go out and do it. And, you know, if you mess up, you mess up. Start small. Just go out and do it. And, you know, more. you never know. You might shoot the biggest buck of your life. Yep, for sure, man. I know, and I, I keep bringing up Grant just because we've been talking. We're going on a goose hunt in March, so we've been we've been chatting a lot the last couple of days. But, um. You know, I was talking to Grant and, and the the passion he has and the excitement he has from when he first joined Service Side and you know, he had that that image of what the deer he wanted to get and he was ready to evolve as a hunter. He'd been hunting his whole life. Um, and he was ready to evolve as a hunter. He was ready to start chasing mature bucks. He was ready to get into that game. He has land, he has he has the 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 means to, to put him a little some something together for his animals. Um, and I tell you what, seeing him take mature buck after mature buck these last couple years and him grow and get better, like you said, don't don't be a bump on a log. Like, we can tell you stuff all day, and I'm not an expert. Um, you know, I, I go off of, I tell people I'm an expert of experience. I am the kind of person I will sit out in the woods 12 hours, and literally when I get home, I'm writing down what was the wind doing. You know, what was I doing? Did I shower the night before? Did I shower the morning of? What was I doing? Um, and I try to put as many variables together as I can to make me a good um, conclusion of, of what that hunt, you know, what made me successful or not. Um, but don't, you know, don't be a turd. <laughs> like, get up. Get up off the couch because I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to do this, you can do it. And like you said, don't be scared to fail. You have to be willing to fail. The most successful people... I'll just say in this country, the most successful people in this country, in the United States, were people that have failed so many times. I couldn't tell you how many stories I've heard of someone, you know, not until they were 30, 40, 50 years old, getting, making the goal or, you know, whatever success they wanted or um, whatever that, that top tier of what they wanted, hitting it. And they've been doing it for 20, 30 plus years. And then in that moment, they, they finally hit it. So, you know, you don't know if that's going to be your time. Um, I know Torrin had talked to Dylan Burnworth. You know, he got into hunting, never killed a mature buck in his life, ended up killing like a 150 plus um, by just talking on the phone a couple hours a night, you know, for a couple weeks and really getting dialed in to, to wind and food sources and what's going on. So, you know, you got to, we all want to kill big buck. You could say you don't. We all want to kill nice animals and harvest nice animals and have that camaraderie and culture. But at the end of the day, you got to get up. You got to do something. You can't, you can't read a Facebook comment or, uh, uh, see somebody's picture on Facebook and, and just want to be like that. You have to get up and, and try to do what you want to do and what's best for you. Right. Yep. Get up and grow the hunt. That's grow the hunt, like man. <laughs> but all right. So we'll wrap this one up. I appreciate everyone listening in. Um, if you have any questions for Corey, you can reach him at AccuForage. Uh, at gmail.com um, also Corey McConnell on all your major socials it's really easy to find um, you know if you, if you have any issues just shoot me an email at justin at serviceside.com um, and I'll also have all this information in the show notes but uh, Corey man I appreciate you jumping on brother no I appreciate it every time it's an, it's uh, I enjoy it every time and we'll see how this webinar goes I, I personally like the webinars a little bit better it's a little bit more hands on and more interactive and you know, if the service side viewers and followers want to see more of that from me, I'm more than willing, man. It, like I said, it's free. 
you might as well take advantage of it when you can. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it is free. And at the end of the day, we this is something that we can facilitate um, pretty easy. So if it's something you guys want more of, we can literally facilitate this easy for the, the simple fact of... Um, excuse me, the simple fact of it doesn't take a lot of time to put it together. Um, and also we're able to do it within like an hour so we can respect everyone's time. Um, but everyone you're listening to white tail, white tail theories podcast. Um, and we'll see you on the next one.